to just be studying the Word. As we've been, uh, as we've been going through the book of Galatians together as a church, we've just been learning different things. Um, we learned, uh, you know, as we finished up chapter 4, that Paul's been pretty repetitive all the way through Galatians. He keeps kind of saying the same thing, that this, this guy named Jesus, that what he did on the cross, that, that, that uh, him giving his life for us is all that we need for salvation. This is not the rules, not the law. Don't try and trust in your own strength. Don't try and trust in any of that. Just leave that behind and, and um, follow, uh, follow Christ. And it, at the end of chapter 4, he, he, had, he kind of asked them a different question because it, earlier on he had said to them, hey, you guys, like, who, who bewitched you? Who cast a spell on you? Who's uh, been messing with your heads? And at the end of chapter 4, we learned last week, then he started asking them. He said, hey, did, uh, did you guys actually know what you signed up for? Did you read the fine print? We were talking about that last week, the fine print of, of the gospel. Do you, know, do you know why you're doing what you're doing? Do you know what it means to be a follower of Christ? Does the word Christian have a, a, a deeper and stronger meaning in your life than just a term of, of something that, uh, that you do on Sundays? And uh, that's what Paul was saying to the Galatians uh, at that time. And he wanted them to realize that they could trust in the fact that what Jesus did was enough. And you know what, for me, I'm, I'm pretty excited about the fact that it has been that repetitive because as it's been going through, I see the light come on in people's, uh, in people's eyes as they start getting it, realizing, you know what, even though I may have done church for a long time, I'm finally starting to, to realize what this was really all about. And you're starting to experience freedom that we talk about and sing about. Hearing stories from uh, some of you as you've been mentioning what, what God's been doing in your life. We're going to have a testimony t- uh, service at the end of this whole thing just to give you an opportunity to share it with everyone else. It's been cool. Even last night, somebody mentioned to me this morning that last night something had happened in their life where they just realized that freedom is pretty awesome to, to live in. And uh, that, you know, that we would be uh, so... Uh, uh, aware of the gospel and know the gospel message. I'm excited for, for us as a church that, that you would, would know the saving uh, power of the gospel, realizing that how it affects and changes and saves our lives, and recognizing real quick what, you know, the things that are uh, opposite of the good news. When you hear something that's, you know, sounds not like what Jesus would say, that you'd recognize it uh, right away. You know, the good news is that, you know, we were sinners, born in it. Uh, it wasn't even, didn't even require us to sin. We were just born as, as sinners uh, because of the sin of, of um, Adam and Eve and passed all the way down. We never had a chance. And yet uh, God being holy had this, had this righteous ju- justice and judgment that requires that sin be paid for, that wrath be poured out on sin. And you think, man, that kind of leaves us in a bad spot. We're born without a chance and we got incredible wrath coming our way because of this sin that we had no chance to, to take care of. And it says that God, he, through Jesus Christ, came and paid that debt for us, took the wrath on himself on the cross. That's what that was. It was more than just a death on a cross. It was the, the outpouring of wrath on all of the sin, all the judgment that was needed. And he did it for us. But that's what I say is so, so amazing about, about the grace and the good news of the gospel. And it, if, it, if it doesn't... Uh, cause the response in you that's like, oh man, the gratitude. Then there's this part that's not, still not quite understanding what it's all about. Uh, last night we were encouraging people too to just continue to mix up your, you know, spice up your relationship with God. 
It's what we've been given uh, through the cross is this chance just to connect with God, to have real genuine relationship with him. And we're, you know, we're saying that, you know, if, you, if, if some of the, the wives here, if your husband came home and, uh, you know, all of a sudden he comes home from work and opens a door and he's like, hey, babe, I'm home. And he's got a dozen, you know, long stem red roses and he hands it to you and he's like, you just go and sit down. Oh, here, here's a, here's a little present I had wrapped it up for you and you go and you open it and he says, just take your time, open it because I'm cooking dinner while you're opening that. And you, you know, you open it, and it's this brand new iPhone 5, the thing you've been always wanting. You're like, whoa, this guy's awesome. And, and she's like, you know, th- even the iPhone 5, that's fine. You know, we're having craft dinner for dinner, but you know, I got an iPhone 5. He's like, no, babe, I've been, uh, I've been taking classes. I, I know how to cook filet mignon, and that's what we're having tonight. And you're like, what? Who is this man? You know, what, what happened here? You'd be, you'd be like calling up your girlfriends like, guess what? You'll never believe it. My husband did this. He's like so awesome. At church, you'd be telling all the ladies, whoa, you know, my, my husband, he's the best. He, he, you know, iPhone 5, long stem roses, filet mignon. It's amazing. You know, I'd be so sweet. And you think, man, what a miracle. And then the next day, after work, he comes home, opens a door, a dozen long stem roses. You're like, no way. Wow, he's, he's really changed. It wasn't a one-day thing. Oh, thank you, God. Miracles happen. And you're like, this is it's amazing. And then he hands you this package. He says, here, take your time opening this. I'm cooking dinner. And you're like, oh, crazy. And you open it, and it's another iPhone 5. And you're like, whoa, I can text my right hand to my left hand. Like, this is awesome. And, and you're like, this is so great. I always wanted one. Now I got two. And he's like, We're, I'm cooking dinner, babe. Don't worry. And he cooks filet mignon. You're like, oh, man, it was so good last night. It's so good tonight. By day three, he comes home, knocks on, he opens the door. Hey, babe, here's the long stem roses. You're looking at it like, really? You know, and here's a package. Take your time opening. You're like, oh, I wonder what it is. It's little and it's, it's a white box. And, you know, it's about that same shape as the last two boxes. And, and let me guess, you're going to cook dinner? Yes, I'm cooking dinner, babe. Just sit down and enjoy. You know, you'd be like, okay, fine. That sounds all right. Sure. Like, I wonder what it's going to be. It smells like filet mignon. Oh, and, and then, and then uh, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every day he comes in. By the end, by Sunday, you're just like, dear God, please send me, you know, my old husband back. The one who just comes home, she's like, where's my dinner? Sits on the couch, like, where have you been? You know, well, like, why, why is it, you know, massage my feet while I eat my dinner in front of the, in front of the game, hon. You know, and stop talking. I'm listening to the Leafs are winning. You know, it's like, you'd be, you'd be like, man, that's what you'd, you'd want. And you think, it's so, so odd. But you know what happens in the routine and relationship? It just causes things to just go downhill. It loses the, the, the luster and the, the zest. And, and, and that's the same thing with our relationship with God. If it becomes just, oh, I go to church on Sunday, and, you know, we sing some songs, and it's, this is what it is, you miss out on, on everything that it can be. And I want to encourage you with that today to just to, to think outside the box a little bit of what your life with Christ is supposed to look like. Because Paul's been talking about it for, for all this time, saying don't choose the law, don't choose, don't, don't choose the law. He's now going to start talking to you about what it's supposed to look like. What was this life that, that, that God himself gave his life for, sacrificed himself for? What was that all about? Go to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. We, uh, start, well, we ended there last time. We're going to start there. We're going to go from Galatians uh, 5, verse 1. We're going to do 17 verses today. Uh, we'll, we'll read some, and then we'll talk a little bit, then we'll read some more, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. So Galatians 5, 1 says this, So Christ, okay, stop there. We're going to talk. All right? Um, don't worry, we won't do all the verses like this. But, but uh, so, so Christ. It, it just, he, he just says pretty much everything in two words. So Christ. This if this whole thing that we've been talking about, all the stuff we've been talking about, hinges on this one, one thing, that it is all about Christ. Completely, 100%, which is something we've been learning, but he says you cannot change what this thing is. You add anything to Christ, it's no longer 
uh, the gospel. You add anything to the good news, it's no longer. It's no longer good news. If the good news is Jesus saves you, but now you have to do all of this stuff as well, it's not, it's not good news. And you'll find out later why it's not very good news. But he says, or if you take away anything, if you like saying, you know, I think Jesus was kind of a good man. You know, he's kind of a cool dude. He had some good teachings, but he's not God. If you take that away, it's not saving either. It would be terrible for us to sit every Sunday, you know, with your butts in these, in these seats, you know, every Sunday, and then at the end of life, and you get there and realize, what, I didn't get it? What? What happened? You know, the, the, I, I didn't understand what it was all about. He said, wants, he wants you to understand what the good news is, and it made it so simple. You know, we often forget that this whole thing centers around Jesus. And what ends up happening when we forget that? Life begins to center around us. Our focus gets all on me, 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 me. Who am I? You know, what's, what's God done for me lately, you know? Like, I prayed for a new job, and I didn't get it. You know, he gave it to that other person sitting beside me, like, in church. I'm like, God, hello, it was me who asked. Don't you remember? And, and we start, we kind of get a little bitter about them. You know, oh, they're doing really well, and I can't even, whatever. And you get upset, or, or things that you see, and, and it becomes about, just so much focus becomes on us as, uh, as individuals when we forget that it was about Christ. I want to just remind you, this verse just says, so Christ. So Christ. And, and to, to, to see that, it says, so Christ has truly set us free. That thing is just filled with, uh, with amazingness. Christ has truly set us free. A lot of times we don't understand what freedom is really all about or the fact that freedom is really a done deal. You know, the law, this Old Testament, the Old Covenant, painted freedom kind of in a picture like this, that, um, that, that the law was more like, you know, you can have freedom if you can escape from Alcatraz. If you can get, do we have those pictures? Sweet, yeah. If you can escape from Alcatraz, you can have freedom. That's what the, the book kind of said. Do you know what it takes to escape from Alcatraz? The law is saying the same thing to you. You can be free. You can have that good feeling on the inside that, that you're right with God and everything's good if you can do this. First, bust out of the blocks around the little uh, air vent in your cell. That's going to take you, you know, a few weeks to do that for sure. Then once you get through those, you've got to climb up the, the plumbing pipes, which are outside your cell, to the third floor. Once you're up there and hiding between the roof uh, of the cells and the roof of the building, up there you've got to break through uh, the ventilation shaft. And once you've broken through that, you climb across the roof, slide down the huge pipes on the outside of the building. Once you've got down there, you need to make your way to the beach, avoid the guards, avoid the lights. Once you get there, construct some sort of raft or flotation device, then swim a mile and a half across frigid, shark-infested waters to the beaches of San Francisco, and you're free! That's it! That's all you gotta do. Well, there, there was a number of people in Alcatraz who actually believed that that was possible, and so they tried it. Guess how many made it? Zero. Same idea here. He says, hey, you can try, and you can try, and you can try. He says, you're never gonna attain that, that feeling of rightness with God, uh, that feeling of, hey, you know, you atoned for all of your sin. It doesn't matter what you try. You just aren't getting there. See, but what the gospel says, what the good news says is, you're already on the beaches of, of San Francisco just by simply believing it. So one day you're sitting in your cell. You're like, oh, man, you know, I'm, I just wish I could be out of here. And somebody says, just believe that you're free. Okay, I believe I'm free. Boom! You arrive on the shores. You didn't do anything to get there. And it's that same real, like when, when, he's, when Barry just describes the feeling of, the, of, of that per, guy the other night saying, something just changed. Like the, the, it, the, the anxiety's gone. I'm f- free from that. I'm free from the, free from the worry. Wow, this, this is odd. You know, it's going to come back. You know, maybe by the time I, I hit Jarvis, I'll be worried again. No, wow. You know, maybe by Renton. Real, no, 
Incredible. Why? Because something changes just in simply believing. You know, it's, it's one of those things that you have to believe, and then you see it. And that's why it's called faith. It doesn't happen any other way. Romans chapter 8, amazing chapter. You know, Romans chapter 8, said, just in one chapter, says almost everything that the whole book of Galatians says in a whole book. We probably should have just done Romans chapter 8. But, you know, <laughs> we spent a few months doing the whole book. But he says, there is therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. No guilt, no shame, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but they walk according to the Spirit. And then it says this, for the law of the Spirit of life. He calls it a law. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. There's two laws working against each other. One says this is the law where I live just by the Spirit. It leads me to life. And this is a law where, you know, I say I'm trying to follow this law of sin, but it leads to death. It leads to death in, in every area. And that's what Paul is saying to them. He's saying, hey, you can live by this thing, but it's just going to bring death into your life. He says the, the living by the Spirit is what leads you to freedom. You know, freedom is incredible, and, but oftentimes you don't appreciate freedom until you know where you came from. You know, it'd be like a bird being trapped in a net. You know, if a bird's trapped in a net, the worst thing it can do is try and free itself. It just gets more and more tangled. It's like you find your life and you're like, man, I got all this stuff in my life that I just, I got to figure it out. I got to figure it out and then I'll go to God. He says, listen, freedom happens the other way around. Just give up trying to get out on your own and allow, allow this, this thing that I've already done for you bring freedom to your life. You know, we've been set free from a lot of things. Set free from things. Um, you know, the Bible talks about how we've been set free uh, from, the, uh, from the punishment of sin. You know, eternal, eternal um, separation from God. You know, we talk about heaven and hell being real places. That, that punishment's already been taken care of. You, you don't have to go there because of what Jesus did. He says he sets you free from the power of sin. In Romans 8, it says you're no longer obligated to do what your sinful nature wants to do. You know, ever have that, you know, where, you, where there's your flesh... And maybe for those of you who are not like used to church, it's like that, that thing in you that wants to do bad stuff. You're like, I, I really don't want to do this, but there's something inside of me that really wants to do that. Maybe you're, you're uh, as a Christian as well, there's things in your life that you feel like, oh man, I really, really try. The Bible just talks about how believing in Jesus, you, you're no longer obligated to do what your flesh wants to do. And it says that as well that we're saved from the presence of sin. Eventually when we, uh, when we are done with this life and we're in heaven, there's, there is no more sin in our lives. And it's... Um, it's pretty cool to, to realize that that's what we've been saved from. That's what we've been set free from. But Galatians 5 verse 1 in the uh, English Standard Version, it says this, for freedom Christ has set us free. Because it's not just that we were set free from something, we were set free for something. Some, so, some of us were so glad to say, yeah, God, I'm thankful that you, you know, you're the, the judge who just wiped away my, my uh, tickets and, you know, finished off my debts. I'm thankful to be saved from all of that stuff. We have no idea what we're saved for. It's, it's like we, we think about Christianity and they says, you know, you've been saved for freedom, but we picture Christianity as something more like this. Handcuffs. You know, as, as a kid growing up, Christianity had this thing of being a whole lot of rules. You know, you can't, you can't, you can't. You can't smoke anything. You know, no smoking cigarettes, no smoking weed. You know, we got in trouble for rolling up weeds in newspaper and smoking them, you know, when we were kids. It was like, you get in trouble for everything. And, and the list would just start. You can't drink. You can't party. You can't have sex. You can't work on Sunday. You can't go to the movies. You can't play cards. You can't watch Disney movies. Those are of the devil. You can't wear jeans. You can't run in the church. You can't have fun. You can't have money. You can't, 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 or God's going to get you. And we're like, wow, 
my, my life that I have now seems pretty good compared to that. Why would anybody want, want this, this Jesus or Christianity when it's, when it's all about that? And Paul's saying, listen to the Galatians. Don't go back to all the rules. He says, you don't realize the freedom that you've been set free to have. Freedom is amazing. You just don't understand it because you don't see it the way it really is. He says, freedom, freedom's like, you know, it's like trading your old jalopy in for a Ferrari. And you're like, well, my jalopy's cool and I can go off-road in it. You know, it's like whatever those Dodge Omnis or Pintos or whatever the lame car is today, uh, PT Cruiser. You know, you're, you're driving, you know, that, that vehicle. You're like, this is, this is cool. I'm doing good. I'm off-road. Look at how fast my speedometer's going. Like, I can rev this up to like 100 kilometers an hour. And, and you don't realize that out on the off-road, your tires are spinning like crazy. You aren't going anywhere. Life is not working. If we're honest enough, we realize it, do, it doesn't work. And he says, this is what the gospel is. He's like, would you not trade that for the chance to drive a Ferrari on the Autobahn? It's not driving your jalopy, your same old life. Now you're just going to add Jesus to it. It's saying it's a completely different thing. He sets you free to, to, to live and to drive like things are meant to be, uh, meant to be driven. And he says, it's not, you know, you're not, um, you're not free just uh, to, to stay in that place. He says, you're free from a couple things. You're free from pleasing men. You don't have to please men anymore. It's okay. It's all good. You know, it's, it's not why you live your life anymore. You're, you're, not, you're also free from having to um, uh, have fear-based behavior modification in your life where you have to change what you do because, you know, God might get you. You're free from that. He says, you, he says you're free to, to just live because of what the grace of God has done. Galatians chapter 5, he says this. So he says, now make sure you stay free. And get, don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Stay free. Don't, don't uh, get tied up. In the other translation, it says stand firm. Stand firm. Stay where you are. You know why? Because it's easy to drift. It is. It's really easy. Simple. Simple to drift away from just that freedom that's in Christ. And he knows it. Life is kind of like the lazy river. Uh, back uh, every Christmas, my, my in-laws take our whole family over to... Um, to uh, Great Wolf Lodge, and we love it, you know, and there's, uh, you know, we all grab inner tubes, and we, we're ready to go down the Lazy River. My, it's my kid's favorite ride. You just sit in the tube, and you just go, and you hope you don't get wet by all the buckets that are pouring on you, and you just go wherever it takes you. It's always the same, you know, but uh, Paul saying to this, he's like, you know what, if, life, if life's like the Lazy River, he's like, stand firm. You know, have you ever tried that, you know, when you're going through the Lazy River and you just decide, you know, I'm just going to stand right here. I'm going to stand with my tubi, and this is where I'm going to be. And other people come by, and they see you, and they, they all give you the same look. Like, what are you doing? You know, are you better than us? Like, seriously, just get, just get going and get in the tube. And then if you can, you can block a few, and pretty soon you can plug up the whole Lazy River. And then those people with the red, you know, uh, shorts and the whistles come over, and they start whistling at you, and they're mad at you too. They're like, just either get out of the Lazy River or just go. This is what the Lazy River does. This is where you go, and, and this is what you're supposed to do. But Paul's saying the same thing. Life and legalism and all that stuff is just going to try and take you. You're going to drift into that spot. He says, don't. He says, stand firm. People are going to look at you and go, well, what, you think you're better than us? What, what's your problem, you know? It's like, he says, no, listen, I'm not going to get into legalism. I'm not going to get into trying to do all the good things. I'm just going to live in freedom because that's what Christ gave his life for. And it says, you know, it applies that it takes some work. You know, the, the, the thing that, I, that I, I think is the, is the saddest part is that sometimes we, we hear something on Sunday and it connects with us, but we can't take it any farther than that because that requires work that maybe we don't want to do. That's why I would encourage you to say, hey, put this, put this word into your life, even as you know, people have been sharing that they read stuff and God's speaking to them because he wants to. Don't go back to the jail cell. Don't go back to uh, 
the, you know, the life of trying to impress God, he's already impressed with you. He already loves you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. Now we'll start moving. It says, listen, I, Paul, tell you this. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. If you're new to church, you're like, what's up with all this circumcision talk? You know, like, it's a little odd. You know, I'm glad I sat in the back. I'm getting out of here. You know, Paul, Paul he's saying this. You know, if you're trusting in circumcision, he's, he, he's saying it's, it's the motive of the heart. It's not what's, what's happened to you. Maybe you're like, oh, you know, circumcision, well, there's no hope for me. You know, I'm, I'm done. What's, I guess whatever. God's not going to love me if, if, if I've chosen circumcision over this. What Paul's saying is back in the day, circumcision was the seal of the law. Meaning you said, you know what, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to do this thing on my own, and, and I'm going to, you know, I, I choose to try and keep laws rather than this whole thing of having a relationship with God. That's, what, that's kind of what I choose. But Paul says this, he says, if, what you don't understand is if you want to keep the, you, you want to keep the law, you got to keep the whole thing. I got some, um, uh, you know, people that, that, that like to do that. They like to kind of have that self-righteousness. This is what they do. They decide which laws they're going to keep today. Today, I'm not going to swear. That's it. You know, today, I'm not going to swear. I'll say fire truck instead, but I'm just, you know, I'm not swearing. You know, and I'm not going to commit adultery, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. And then, you know, all of a sudden, they're driving down the road, and they're, they're speeding like crazy, and, and they get pulled over. And the cop says to them, hey, you were speeding. You're going 150 and an 80. And he's like, yeah, but I didn't swear today. And uh, I'm a pretty good husband. I didn't break and enter anywhere. I haven't lied. I haven't, uh, you know, no contempt of court. You know, I haven't done any of these things. He's like, I don't care. You, you know you're speeding. You're going to get a ticket for speeding. It's like friends of mine who are weightlifters. He said, it'd be like them saying, you know, I'm going to go in the gym today, and I'm just going to lift some weights. I'm just going to lift the weights that I want to. The Bible says the law is like this. If you want to do that, you've got to lift all of those weights at the same time. It's crushing to think about that thought. That there's absolutely no point to go that road. And then Paul says in verse 4, uh, he says, but, he says um, For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away uh, from God's grace. He says, But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness that God has promised to us. He, he talks about this. He says, If you want to live that way, you want to try and lift all the weights yourself, he says, You've fallen from grace. We know that term, we hear it every once in a while, and usually it's, you know, it makes the papers, it makes the headlines, because some mega pastor of a church, of a mega church, did something really stupid. You know, and now all of a sudden, they have fallen from grace. You know, they were sleeping with their secretary, or they were embezzling the church's money, or, um, you know, they got to grow up in the church basement, and it's like, now it's like, oh, this guy, he's fallen from grace, you know. This is, you know, you read about, you read about that term, and it says, oh, you know, if you have a big sin, well, then you've fallen from grace. That's not what Paul's saying at all. You know, and the one thing I worry about is in our culture of the way we do church in North America is we set them up for it. We, we set it up. We do church like this where it's all about one guy at the front. And it's, I, I would say, as Paul said, don't ever look to men. Don't ever look to a person. Don't ever pedestalize a person. Don't, don't call me pastor uh, or if it causes in you to think of me as somebody better than you. Because we're all his kids and all the same and all have that tendency to possibly drift. What happens is we pedestalize people and all of a sudden it gets in their heads. Then they start thinking, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit better. I, I, I do have a name in front of mine. My name's now Pastor Mark. Huh, interesting. And then what happens? When the drift happens, I got nowhere to go. 
I, I got nowhere I can be honest because I, I, I have to be better than, than those people. I have to, it's what's happening in the Catholic Church right now at the top level. You know, they can't believe that the Pope would have to step down. Well, they've not done him any favors to make him appear like he's greater than other people. Same deal here. What happens is Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't just follow me. Same thing to you. Don't just take what I'm saying. Go study the word for yourself. Don't just say, oh, Mark will pray for me. Talk to God. You have that relationship with him. Uh, those are the things that, uh, that he says because you know what I've, I've learned and I love about this place is there's that chance to be open and to be honest. That, you know, we, the, the, what that does is that gives us the, the ability to love each other, you know, when you know the person next to you is a screw-up, you know, but you, uh, you can love them because they're his kid. That you, can, that you can look and realize that there's that, kind of, there's that kind of grace in our lives that says, you know, falling from grace is not big sins. Falling from grace is saying, you know what, I can do this on my own. The Bible doesn't say that the gospel is like the green light. Go ahead and sin all you want. We know that. Paul said, you know, are we just going to sin because there's grace? No, he says, absolutely not. We're not doing that. He says, he says, there's that thing of not falling away from grace. He says, but eagerly wait. Eagerly wait for righteousness. That word wait's pretty cool because it just says, you know, that they're not trying to do it. They're not trying to earn something. They're just, they're just waiting for it. And eagerly waiting means it's like you're waiting and acting at the same time. You're kind of waiting and, and doing at the same time, saying, you know, God, I, I'm thankful that I'm right with you, and I'm, I'm eagerly waiting for you to work that out in my life. It's like being pregnant. You know, if you're, if you're going to have a baby, you know, you, you right away, you're, you're expecting the baby to arrive. And, you know, they put a due date on it, so you know when to kind of expect it. Eagerly waiting means, you know, the baby's coming, and I should probably do some things to get ready for that. Like, I probably should have a nursery. I should have baby clothes. I should have baby names chosen or something. And that's what eagerly, like, we did that with three kids, and then we thought, ah, it's all a breeze, you know, the fourth one, no problem. Then six weeks before, I come home from work, and Beth's like, I don't know, like, either my water's broken or I'm just peeing a lot. I don't know. Something's not right here. And I'm just like, uh so that, that means there might be like a baby today? And he's like, yeah, I think so. And it's like, okay, this is weird. We don't, we don't have any names. You know, we always watch movies and get cool names. What are we going to do? We had to name him Finn. You know, we had no other choice. We, we, didn't, we, we didn't do any. Some of you wonder, where do they come up with these names? That's what happens when you don't plan ahead. You know, when you're not eagerly waiting. And he says the same thing happens with, with, um, with this. There's an eagerly waiting for uh, what God's doing in your life, the end result of, uh, of the promise. It doesn't happen right away, but it's working out in your life. You see the signs of it as it goes. And then Paul says this, verse 6. He says, uh, it's the great to be or not to be. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. He doesn't care, you know, if it's uh, circumcision or not. He says what's so important is that your faith is genuine and it's expressing itself. It's demonstrating itself. It's working itself out in love. Faith working itself out uh, through love. And, and that's, the, that's the whole thing. Because some of you, you know, have been pretty smart and you've read your Bibles. You say, you know, you say to me, Mark, you know, you've been talking about this whole thing of you just follow Jesus and you don't have to do anything. You don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. You don't have to do all the works. It's just Jesus and not all that. Well, what about James? Huh? What you can say about that? James says, you know, if you've got faith and you have no works, that faith is dead. It's not saving. So James would say that you're saved by your works. How do these two books uh, coincide? Which one is true? The Bible just says that by focusing on Jesus, and we're going to learn this more next week, the works begin to happen in your life, proving that's something that you actually do believe in Jesus. That that love that fills your heart, it's got to get out somehow. And what, what Paul's talking about is the motivation. 
if you say, you know what, I'm going to do these works, and that becomes your motive, he says that it's wrong. It's all wrong. He says, but when your motive is love, he says, then, then the works that happen, they're all right. That, there's, a, there's a huge difference. It's like, for instance, we can live our lives in, in fear of God, motivating our decisions, or we can live our lives in loving God, and that motivates our decisions. It's like, it's like in my house, you know, I know that, I know that I'm not a real big fan of doing home chores. You know, I have a real job. That's why I'm like, I, I want to, no, I'm just kidding. I, uh, I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan. It's not something I really love and enjoy. But a while back, I learned that, you know, doing dishes makes my wife happy. And, and uh, so I, I said, gladly and gratefully would do uh, dishes. But it'd be, but picture this. What if, what if I was to, to, to realize one day I'm, I'm finished my breakfast, I go on and put the dishes in the dishwasher, and the worst possible thing happens, the dishwasher's already clean. Now I've got to like clean the whole thing out or put the dishes in the sink. And I sit there and I think, I'm like, if I put the dishes in the sink, I know what's going to happen. Beth is going to come home. She is going to lose it, right? She's going to turn into the Hulk. She's going to beat our children. She'll try and drown all my fish. I'm like, this is terrible, you know? I, I, can't, I can't go like this. So I'm like, I'm going to clean those dishes. And I'm like, oh, I'm mad now because like, I have to do these dishes so all that bad stuff doesn't happen to me. If only I was a bigger man and I could take her, I wouldn't be doing these dishes, you know? I, I'm like, I'm thinking all my motivation is fear motivated, and I'm not enjoying this at all. But if I think, man, my wife is one of the most amazing women. Uh, that she's, she is the most amazing woman. She is uh, a great mother. She's a great friend. I, I love this girl like, like more than the day that I met her, more than the day we, we got married, more all the time as I realize and get to know her better. The more I love her, I'm thinking, you know what? This would really make her day. I'm going to do it. You know what? Not only am I going to wash my own dishes, I'm cleaning all that out. I'm going to make sure the whole k- kitchen is clean because, you know, it's pretty good. And then I realize, hmm, the floor, little crumbs that I just swept there. No, I'm going to vacuum the whole floor. And I vacuum and I go through the whole house and begin to vacuum and even take the end off and go along the edges to get the dust bunnies. You know, she comes home and she's like, whoa. And you know what? The whole thing for me was a joy. Why? What's the difference? Same task, same thing, different motivation. And it says the same thing here is you cannot do all the tasks, do all the stuff until you realize, man, that God loves me absolutely, I know what I'm like, God, and you still love me? It's once that realization hits in that, wow, this is what I'm set free for. Sure, I'll do that. God, you want me to give up that? (laughs) No problem. If I can have this, that's what I want. But we don't see that. And Paul's saying that understanding freedom, if you don't realize that, you will live your life out of fear. Let's finish it up. He says, you were running the race so well. He says, you started really good, but we know that starting something isn't what matters. It's how you finish. He's like, who held you back from following the truth? Certainly isn't God, because he's the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads the whole batch of dough. He says, it's little bit, this little bit of legalism. He says, you allow any of that little bit of legalism in your life, that measuring yourself by the law, it's going to screw it all up. Not just for you. You'll be that lazy river person who just drags everyone else around with you. He says, this false teaching, it's like that. He says, I'm trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings, and God will judge that person, whoever he is, who is, has been confusing you. Just whoever he is. It might be your pastor. It might be your parents. It might be your friends that are trying to say, hey, Christianity looks like this. He says, don't let them confuse you. He says, I'm praying and trusting that God's going to keep you. He says this in um, verse, uh, verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say that I do, why am I still being persecuted? He's, he says, if I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Christ, well, no one would be offended. He says, my message hasn't changed from the very beginning of what you believed in. It's still the same. He says, I just wish those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. 
I mean, I have not said anything worse from up here than that. He, Paul's basically saying, you think, you know, you know, doing something to your flesh is going to make you right with God? He says, well, then just get real right with God and just cut the whole thing off. Like, that's what he's saying. And you know what that says to us? That says that this is no little deal. It says that legalism, having that thing of trying to keep the law and, and, and be good for God, is no little thing. He says it's a, it's a major, major thing. He says, look out for it. Verse 13, he says, for you've been called to live in freedom. You've been called to live in it. He says, my brothers and sisters, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. See, way back when we said, hey, you know, you're free. You can just live however you want. God's going to forgive you. He says, not, that's not what the freedom's for. That's not why I gave you this freedom. He says, you're free to live. But he says, instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. To serve one another in love. You know, we have it on our sign, love God, love people. It's that same thought, that our, and in that order, in that order, that passion for God comes out in our lives in loving each other. Say, how do, you, how do you know where I'm at? He says this, the whole law, if you want to keep one, can be summed up in this, just love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, because beware that you're going to destroy one another. He says, you know, and that's let's say something we can take from it as a church. If you're here this morning and you came with the attitude of, you know, I wonder what they're going to do for me today. You know, I wonder what, what, I wonder what I'm going to get out of this. You know, I hope, this, I hope the message is at least applies to me, you know. Uh, I hope that, you know, people are going to pray for my prayer request. You know, and in one sense, that's okay if that's you. That's going to be the case. There's going to be days where you come in, you're going to need people to pray for you. You're going to need that message to speak to your heart because you're in a situation, you need answers. But if that's you every single Sunday, you're missing out on what God has set you free for. And, and it's that, that freedom to love and serve one another, to just be able to say, I'm not in competition with another, one another. I can celebrate when someone else gets a bonus at work and they now have way more money than me, squillions of dollars more than I could ever dream of. I'm thrilled for them. You know, I'm excited for them. Or if you're talking with people and it's like, you realize like, you know, they're, they're saying, you know, hey, I want, I want prayer because, you know, I really want to quit smoking. You're like, well, I quit smoking a year ago, you know. <laughs> Look at how good I am. You know, that person, I'll pray for you, but from a distance, you know. It takes out all that. It's because we can just love each other because it, we're, it's not, it has no bearing on who we are. You know what happens when we forget this and what Paul says? Is it becomes, we begin to turn on one another. Things become all about us. And when it doesn't go our way and we don't like it, well, we're just going to be mad about it. And we begin to bite each other. We begin to tear apart at the family that Christ has set up. And it's not just in here. It's the family worldwide of followers of Jesus Christ. He says that you would serve one another. You got freedom to do it. And Paul, we're going to talk about lots of that stuff. But Paul said, he was saying things like you're free to eat meat. You know, that's been, that um, wasn't kosher meat. You know, they were free to, to drink alcohol. But he said they wouldn't do it if it caused their brother to stumble. They thought about others instead of just themselves. It's an amazing, amazing freedom. You know, I was sharing with somebody last night afterwards, and it's not really probably theologically sounding right, but, you know, there's, there's a thought of living in freedom. There's an amazing feeling. There's an amazing feeling when you really screw up, and then you realize God still loves you, that God's grace is there. For those of you who know that, that's an amazing feeling. But there's a better feeling than that, and that's living in the freedom from whatever that sin, from whatever that addiction, or whatever it is. It's much better living in the freedom of that. I would really encourage you this morning, if you're, if you're up against things and you feel like, you know what, I got this thing, you know, I still feel like I'm struggling with stuff, to realize that you are already free. The Bible says, and to simply believe that, you'll fight, you know, from a whole different perspective. 
Now you're no longer in the prison cell trying to find a way out of Alcatraz. You're already free. Just don't go back to it. To believe that, you'll experience it. And he says that's what life was meant to be, how it was meant to be lived. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you um, even, uh, even for what it tells us about the freedom that you gave your life for. Jesus, I thank you for the chance to experience it in my life. I pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would do in each person here what you're doing in me. God, I pray that you'd begin to change their heart with your truth, that they would know your truth and it would set them free to live uh, as you've uh, called them to. Uh, God, I just pray for those this morning who who don't know you, who who are still trying to do life on their own, who have not put their faith and trust in, in you and the sacrifice you made. God, I just ask this morning that you would reveal, your, uh, reveal yourself to them, that they would um, know that they have a choice to choose either between life and death, between freedom and bondage, and that uh, they could receive you and receive your gift of freedom this morning uh, and live differently. Just pray that uh, God give them courage to, uh, to make that decision this morning. Uh, thank you for, for hope, for life, for joy, uh, and for peace in our lives and in our homes. I just pray that uh, you continue to bless this family that you've been building and putting together. Uh, I pray protection over them as they head out from this place. And may they be lights that just shine bright for you this week in, in the darkness around. Uh, Lord, we love you. May our lives reflect that. Uh, may we serve one another as we uh, live our lives for you. Thank you so much again for the chance we had to do this this morning. Love you, and it's for, uh, for your name as always. Amen.